Amen. We'll go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 tonight. We're going to continue going through the Sermon on the Mount and, of course, through the book of Matthew and just a little uh, review. So remember, Matthew is a retelling of the story of Israel, the the physical nation of Israel. Uh, They failed in every way possible when uh, God called them out of Egypt and they were baptized in the Red Sea with many of them. God was not well pleased. And so we see Jesus called out of Egypt in Matthew. We see him get baptized. We see God is well pleased with him. Just like Israel was tempted in the wilderness, Jesus Christ is tempted in the wilderness, but this time with a completely different result. And then uh, last week we showed how Jesus preaching on Mount Sinai was a repeat of God coming on a mount and giving Israel a law. Many years before, God had given Israel a law and Israel said, we can do it, but they didn't do it. They did not learn the lessons that they were supposed to learn. In reality, they rejected God. They rejected His Word. because, And, uh, and so, as a result of it, um, they said, you know, they tell, we don't want to hear the voice of God anymore. And we, they couldn't handle it. And so, Moses prophesied that God was going to raise up a prophet from their brethren like unto Moses, and unto him shall he hear. So now, Jesus Christ has lowered Himself and he has made himself a little lower than the angels and he is speaking to these people and he is giving them some new instructions that they are to follow. Not just because he is God, but because of Moses. They are supposed to follow these things. They were commanded by Moses. They were commanded by Jacob. They were commanded by Abraham to follow these things. And and so, um, when they refused Jesus Christ, Understand that was them violating the law. This is them revoking their citizenship to Israel. Because think about this. I use this illustration today uh, when uh, recording a podcast that I think is good. And I want to I share this tonight. But imagine if I left America and all my family, we left America. And 1900 years from now, all my descendants get together and they come back to the United States. They come back to this geographical location, whether it's still America or not. And they say, we come from Tommy McMurtry and we are Americans. And, and then when they come back, not only are they claiming to be Americans because they are my descendants, but they are also rejecting the Constitution. You understand? It, you know, we have a law that makes us a nation. And so if they were to come back 1,900 years later, rejecting the Constitution, assuming it's still in effect, rejecting the laws of this nation, then how can they make any claim to be an American just because they descend from one? And understand, God chose Abraham because God said, I know that he will command his children after him. We see that Abraham commanded his children to do some things. We see Jacob commanded the 12 sons and to follow Shiloh when he comes. Moses, who was a religious leader and a political leader, commanded them to follow that prophet. So now we've got 2,000 years, 1,900 years after the Jews have expelled from the land like God said would happen to them for rejecting the Messiah. Descendants of them return rejecting the law of Moses. Rejecting the law of Israel, their father, and yet claiming because we have a bloodline, 
we have claim to this land? That's absolutely ridiculous. That's completely unbiblical. What Jesus is saying in this Sermon on the Mount was, in fact, law according to Jacob and according to Moses and according to Abraham. That's why Jesus told those Pharisees when they rejected him that this did not Abraham. You call on yourselves Abraham children, but you're not doing what Abraham told you to do. You don't have the faith of Abraham. So Abraham was not their father as a result of that. And let me tell you, anyone who is not following the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount is not of Israel. They are not, they have no claim to Israel. They have no legal claim. They have no spiritual claim. And if they want to claim a biological claim, well, you've got to show me where that makes you qualified in the scripture. It's just not, it's not there and nobody can, nobody can show it to me. So here we are in chapter six. Jesus is giving Israel what they asked for after Mount Sinai. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophet like Moses. And so while these things are difficult and no one is capable of obeying all of these without fault, Somewhere, we do need to understand all of these things are orders for those of us who are a part of Christ's kingdom. And so while the blood of Christ atones for all of our failures, just like when God originally gave them the law, if they violated those laws, they had offerings that they could do. They had sacrifices that the priests could make to atone for their sins. And those didn't really atone for their sins, we learn later. Uh, Christ is what atoned for sins. But understand... Any area where you and I fall short in this Sermon on the Mount and something is going to nail all of us. We all got nailed last week. We're all going to get nailed this week. But understand, we are still in the kingdom because we still have a faithful high priest and his blood atones and he is making intercession for us. And so we can keep working in the kingdom. We can keep being a part of this kingdom and we're not going to get kicked out. This is what was prophesied, and I, and I don't have time to go to the prophecies in Isaiah and many other places. So our loyalty should be to Christ first and physical nations second, because we are. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom. So Christ comes first. Okay? And thankfully, you know, we live in a country where it's not real hard to obey God and man. Sometimes it's difficult. We had some, we had some rough... Uh, we had some rough decisions a few years ago, and it'll probably happen again. But either way, if that happens, we follow Christ first. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I'm not ashamed to admit that at all. And so without a doubt, what we're going to see as we go through these new instructions from Christ is he's trying to help these people understand the importance of obeying the spirit of the law and not just the letter. This is what we need to get from this. Because while we can say this is a clarification of the law, <clears throat> Jesus is taking this to another level. This is more than just you obeying the letter of the law. We need to see if you, we, I want you obeying the spirit of the law. We should not just have an attitude of am I breaking the law. Okay? No one is capable of keeping the letter of the law. And it's repulsive to a holy God to watch someone go through the motions of something that in itself is a poor performance. And let me tell you, our performance of the law is pretty lame. And if you think you're doing pretty good, it's only because you compare yourself amongst yourselves. And Bible says that's not wise. And let me tell you, 
it, it is this repulsive to God when you're already doing a poor performance of the law, but then at the same time, if your heart's not even in it. God is not pleased with that at all. God wants us not only doing right, but He wants our heart to be in it. And so we have people in our country today that love to get all technical with the law and exercise their rights based on the letter of the law. But it's one thing to have that attitude with the sinful nation's laws, but when you have that attitude with God's law, that's pretty wicked. And so it is. It's not just about going through the motions, okay? If you're, you know, uh, you know nobody confess anything, but you know, if your wife has to tell you, go buy me flowers, and then you go buy her flowers, she's not going to be as pleased as if you just bought her flowers just because. And isn't that what they want? They want you to do it just because. And there's been times before my wife, she's like dropped some really subtle hints, like you really need to do this. And then I went and did it. And then she didn't appreciate it that much. You know why? Because it was obvious I was just going through the motions. You know, and uh, that's not that's not what God wants. God wants our heart to be in it. So I want us to point out how this works, because that's kind of the theme really of this entire chapter. So verse one says, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest sign alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth, uh, seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So, again, giving alms is a good thing. Giving is good. You know, uh, uh, and God is always, is God's pleased when we do that kind of thing. But here we're seeing God wants us also doing it for the right reason. Okay. Now, when it comes to paying my taxes, okay, I pay my taxes because I have to. I pay my taxes with a bad attitude, you know, because I'm not pleased with our government. I'm not pleased with the tax code and all that. And God doesn't want us giving our tithes and offerings like that too. Well, you know, I've got to do this. Otherwise, I'm going to get cursed. Preacher's going to preach after me and, you know, and then tell me all this bad luck's coming my way because I robbed God and all that kind of... God doesn't want that with us. You know, I had somebody ask me recently too, you know, if I, uh, you know, if I, if I, if I believe in tithing and, you know, and I said, I believe in the principle of the tithe. I, I believe in the principle. I don't believe that we are under the law. I don't believe that. But I do see in the scripture where God is pleased when we give, but God doesn't want us giving grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver. And so I believe the reason I even talk about tithing is because we see tithing was something that was even before the law, because that's something we see emphasized in the scripture. And I know God loves a cheerful giver and I want to give if I'm just trying to figure out what it is. That's just kind of a baseline for me. But I'm not. But, you know, at the same time, you know what? We don't check your pay stubs and compare it with your tithe to make sure we got 10 percent. Okay, You know, we're not going to check your tithe in case, you know, asking if you got any Christmas bonuses to see if we if your offering reflected that. We don't do that stuff here at this church. That's the last thing we need to do because then y'all are going to be giving, not because you love God, but because you don't want to get chewed out by the preacher. And you especially shouldn't be giving to be seen of men. That's why I said, don't sound a trumpet. You know, don't go stand up in church when offerings going on. And ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to give a testimony. I got a nice Christmas bonus this year. And not only am I giving 10%, I'm giving 15 
percent to the Lord. Just do it and shut up about it. Because here's the thing. He's saying do it in secret. Why? That way, hey, this is just between me and you. This is something that you're doing for me. That's what God wants. God wants to be real to us. And if your only motivation for giving is telling others about it, if your only motivation for giving is so you can, you know, you, you know even to give to other people, not just giving in, in church. I'm talking about being giving to other people. You know, you shouldn't do that in church either. It's like, I want to praise the Lord. I had the opportunity to buy groceries for brother so-and-so this week. He's hungry. His job's not been paying him very much and he's doing a sorry job providing for his family, but I stepped in and I saved the day. You don't need to do that. You know, when you're giving the waitress a big tip, don't video it. You know, don't video it and so you can see her crying and then share it all over social media and man, look at what a good person I am. You know, hey, that's good. You know, if, if you want to be a blessing to the waitress, please do, you know, do that. But don't video it and post it all over social media. Well, I'm just trying to inspire others. No, you're not. You're trying to get praise of men is what you're trying to do. I find that kind of thing repulsive. You know, not knocking off. You know, some, some of these gimmicks that people do at this time of year. We went into the mall yesterday. And Salvation Army. Do you know Salvation Army? It's like a church. They have a church here in town. They had the Salvation Army there getting the money. They had a guy dressed up in an Elvis costume singing and dancing to Elvis songs. You want to talk about cringe? I mean, it was just like, you know, is that what we got to do to get people to put some change in a bucket? I was like, this is repulsive. You know, I just, I, I, I was embarrassed. And there was like hardly anybody in the mall. There was like nobody there. And he's just, but he, he didn't care, man. He was going to town dancing all over the place. Uh, it, it, it's goofy stuff. But anyway, doing alms, it's good. It's obedience, but obedience with a bad heart obeying that command so you can receive glory of men, God's not pleased. God wants you to do it in secret and God will reward you openly. God will bless you openly. You know, maybe, you know, have you ever wondered, maybe some of these people that you see that are so blessed and you can't figure out why they're blessed, maybe that's why they're blessed. Because they're doing all kinds of stuff that you don't know about, but God does know about and God's blessing them openly. Maybe that's what's going on. You know, instead of just thinking God's not being fair, you know what? Just keep trusting God. Just keep trusting God. Maybe that person's doing a lot of things that you're not seeing. Verse 5, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which seeth in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when we pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they should be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. So again, notice, again, giving is good, praying is good, but when you're doing it to be seen of men, you're missing the point. And see, and that was the mentality that Israel had. Israel had gotten very good at doing certain aspects of the law and they had become they became very accustomed to those things and as a result they got very lifted up with pride and it was turning into a big show and now they're, they're the point of the law was to get people to remember the lord god wanted them to remember him but somehow they turned these things into rituals to where nobody even knew why they were doing them anymore and it became a big show and let me tell you something the principle, while the methods change, 
the principle doesn't change. And one thing that we have going on in churches today, in independent fundamental Baptist churches, we have churches that at one time they were doing things following the leading of the Holy Spirit. They were doing things that worked for a particular situation at that time. But at some point, those things became a tradition. Those things became a ritual. And then they became something that were like tradition that you that they would do to be seen of men. One of the things that we see today that reminds me of that are just the altar call ritual that people have going. Listen, I'm not against altar calls. You know, just like I'm not against giving alms. I'm not against praying. You know what I am against? I'm, I'm, against, I'm against doing empty, vain, showy things. That's what I'm against. And so when we are demanding someone do it, when we are demanding someone do it a certain way, when we are making greater effort during certain meetings to make sure people perform right during the altar call so we can impress the evangelists and stuff like that, we're missing the point of the whole thing where there was a time where people, they just wanted to get a hold of God. And, you know, maybe they just came to the front because it was a good place where everybody could gather around close and, and pray to God. It wasn't about going to the altar. It was about let's just get together and let's pray and let's call out on God and pray that the Holy Spirit does something. You know, but it, it, eventually it just became a ritual, something that they've demanded and something that some are really good at. There are some preachers, they know how to get results from, from those altar calls. They know how to turn on the emotions. They know how to, to guilt trip. They know how to do all that stuff, and it's become just a empty ritual is what it's, what it's become. And you know what? God's not pleased. God's not pleased. When you're just going to the altar to be seen of men because you don't want the preacher guilt-tripping you, and they do it sometimes. Listen, I can tell stories. My kids can tell stories of things that they have sat through, and things. That, and it's, it's absolutely ridiculous god wants us doing things for him god is real the holy spirit is real but what's happened in a lot of these churches they are so void of the holy spirit in the in the biblical sense that they have gone into all these things trying to conjure it up and they think an emotional service is the holy spirit showing up well if that's the case then you know what we should all go learn from greg Locke because he's really good at getting the emotion going in his church. He's really good at getting the crowds and all, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I don't believe God's anywhere near that foolishness. And, you know, and in the Baptist world, you know, in many ways, we're only just one step away, just different music, but, you know, very, very similar things. And I think that's ridiculous. And so people, many people will take what is spoken here. And I hear people do this today. They'll take these instructions that Christ gave and they will just create a new list that they will act like they're following. But they're missing the point of the whole thing. It's not just about obedience, but it's about obedience with the right heart. So we can't use vain repetitions. Yeah, and I agree. Don't just use vain repetition. Now, does that mean we can't repeat anything? You know, does that, does that mean we can't do anything that's repetitive? Well, you don't want to do it just to do it. You don't want to do it just to have a long prayer. You know, if, if sometimes, you know, there's prayers in the Bible that have, uh, and there's Psalms that have repetition and things in there. It's just when it becomes vain, when it becomes empty. And I just think it's important that whatever we do, whatever we do in church is real. I think if we have an altar call, it needs to be real. 
When we have prayer, it needs to be real. It needs to be people talking to God. It doesn't need to be people showing off. And you know what? You can often tell what someone's religion is by just how they pray. I've got a video when I was in Israel at the Pool of Bethesda. Okay? At, at the Pool of Bethesda, which is where one, Jesus did one of His miracles. Okay? Probably wasn't the Pool of Bethesda, but everybody there thinks it is. But the Charismatics love that area. And, and I, I've, got a, I've got a video, and it was obviously an American group, and, you can, and, and they're all over there, and the leader of that group was praying. He's like, there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there's healing in the name of Jesus. I mean, everybody, everybody's doing the weird motions, the weird prayer things, and it just it's sounded so fake, so it sounds so identical to all these other things you hear. There's a way the Pentecostals pray. There's a way the Baptists pray. You know, there's a way, you know, these faith healing types pray. It's, and it's, at the end of the day, it's not about how you say it. It's just about, is it for real? Is it from the heart? And when, you know, I hear a person hanging around one preacher or one camp and they pray identical to them when they have a completely different personality. I don't think this is something between you and God. I think this is you trying to prove you're like this other guy. This is you trying to prove you're like this other preacher. Like preachers, I have, I have known two different kinds of preachers. I have known northerners who started hanging around with the southerners and started preaching like southerners and preaching with southern accents. I have known southerners who started preaching more with the trendy crowd and going with the trendy crowd and they lost their southern accents. They used to pray like a camp meeting preacher. And then, I, I don't want to imitate. I, I, sometimes I, I, I thought a good prayer I could imitate, but I, it can... It can be pushing blasphemous when you imitate prayers. So I, I, I got to watch it. I'm not going to do it right now. But one of the ones I'm thinking of, go watch one of Jason's go to, Jason Goes to Church video and the one with the guy with the Israeli flag behind him where he just starts screaming. You know, listen, I, I, I didn't even have to look up that church and know that was south of the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. And if it's, about, if, it's, if it's really of the Holy Ghost to do that, they would do it in the north. They would do it in China. <laughs> they would they would do it everywhere. Okay, so the, yeah, just here's what I here's what I want. I just want people to be real. Let's let's just be real. Okay, and you you get in trouble for that. I get in trouble all the time for just being real and just telling it like it is. And uh, it, it gets you a lot of trouble, but it's what God wants. And so we're not just creating a new list. Okay, God cares more about the circumcision of the heart than the circumcision in the flesh. And that was in the Old Testament. Jesus goes on here in this story to give a model prayer. Okay? Here he's given a model prayer. But yet, what do people do with this prayer? They take it and they make a vain repetition out of it. That's what the Catholics do. Hey, and I don't think it's wrong for you to pray this prayer. If, even if you prayed this prayer word for word, I don't think it's wrong as long as it's coming from the heart. I think this is more of a model prayer. And I've preached whole sermons on this before. And, I, and I'll, if I may briefly outline it this way, we see all four of these aspects in this prayer. And it starts out P-R-A-Y, right? P, praise. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There ought to be some repentance in your prayers. You know, talk to God about your sins. Confess those things to him and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen y'all y'all do some asking in your prayer 
You ought to do some asking. And then you know what? You ought to yield. You ought to let God talk to you. You talk for a while, let God talk to you. And I think all everything we see in this prayer, we ought to have some of that in our prayer. But you don't have to say it exactly like this. How often do we say, hallowed be thy name? We don't say that stuff. That's not really how we talk. But you can speak to God in your words. It's okay for you to do that. You can, it's God though. I need to make sure I say everything just right. Hey, wait till you hear my sermon on Sunday about grace. I'm preaching on the doctrine of grace on Sunday. And I, man, I, I'm, I want to preach my sermon on grace right now for, for a lot of reasons. One, I'm really excited about it. And two, because it's going to cream the Calvinist. And, but at the same time, you know, there is a reason. There is a reason that we are able to go to God like children. There is a reason we can approach the throne of grace boldly. There is a reason for this, ladies and gentlemen. Grace means something. Hey, God, God, that grace that God gives us, it means favor. God has favor with us. He looks at us with great favor. And there's a reason for that. And so you better believe you can talk to God. And God just wants you to be real with Him. Go ahead and be real with Him. Don't be, I'm not saying be disrespectful. But you know what? We have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And just like your kids are able to come and talk to you and ask you for things, you can do the same thing with God. And so he goes on, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And this is consistent with what we're going to see next week when Jesus said, With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Keep that in mind. It's, it's why I would recommend you be gracious to people. I would recommend you be merciful to people. I would recommend you do good to those who don't deserve good to be done to them because that's how God's going to be with you. So keep that in mind. We'll probably talk more about that next week. Verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites. Again, we're on another subject, but it's about not doing it to be seen of men. God wants things to be personal with us. God wants a relationship. God wants us doing things for Him. Not doing things for the sake of doing them. Not doing them so other people will be impressed. Doing these things for Him. And so when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So notice, he's, he said, he's almost telling them to be fake. Make, it, make you appear to not be fasting. That's what he said to do. You know why? Because we shouldn't do these things for others. We shouldn't do these things to lift up ourselves. This is supposed to be something between us and and God, God wants a relationship with us. And so we can't make the mistake of going after recognition on earth. When we get the recognition on earth, we rob ourselves of the recognition in heaven, which is better. It's going to be so much better. If we only had the faith to see that, if we only had the faith to believe that, when we're not getting recognized on earth, or even when we're getting negative recognition on earth, if we only had the faith to understand, one of these days, God's going to set it all straight in front of everybody. 
You know, and, it, and I, I got to remind myself of that. You know, sometimes I just want to go on YouTube and just set the record straight for everybody. I'll tell everybody how it really is. You know, I'll set the record straight. You know what? And chances are, if I succeed, at best, I have my reward on earth. Oh, great. I put that person in their place. Okay? But if I leave it to God and let him set the record straight, I'll be, I think we'll be glad we did. I'm not saying we can never, never do it. I'm not going to say that because one of these days I might just like I'm setting the record straight on some stuff. I've had enough, but um, you know, most of the time I just try to I just try to think about the future, think about heaven. One of these days we're going to stand before God, and you know, it, it, it's always a blessing to when others do defend you. But imagine Jesus Christ Himself defending you. That shuts everybody up right there. That will shut everybody up. That's what we need to keep in mind. And so that's what we ought to shoot for. So verse 19. And he said, and notice we all are familiar with this passage. And he said this after 18 verses of basically saying, don't do good things for the wrong reasons. Don't do good things like the hypocrites do to be seen of men. They have their reward. You need to be thinking about the future rewards. And so he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And I believe he does. He means literally, you know, just getting focused on financial treasures and all these things. But even too, we can apply this to just recognition. People thinking good of us. People thinking that we're great. Which he had said, they have their reward on all those things. We need to just think about that. You know what? It's like, man, I'm getting a lot of ugly recognition on this earth. But you know what? I'm gaining a bunch of good recognition when I get to heaven. So I'm going to keep doing it. We've got to think of those heavenly rewards. So lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And notice, this is why you need to keep focused on the treasures in heaven because if you're you're laying up treasures in heaven, your heart will be on heavenly things. Everything that has been described here has been about the heart. And sadly, even in many churches today, in many independent fundamental Baptist churches, we are more about the outward things than the things of the heart. And a lot of that, too, is because of sorry people who come along. And just, you know, God looks, man looks on the outward, God looks on the heart, and they use that as justification for their carnality. You know, and we get frustrated with that kind of thing. But at the same time, too, in Baptist world, we're real good at dressing people up on the outside while they've got wicked hearts. And that, and if that's the case, you know what? We're missing the boat. We're missing the point. We're missing the whole point of the kingdom of heaven. Great, you got people dressing right. You got them singing the right songs. You got them using the right Bible. But their heart's not in anything that they're doing. That's not what God, God wants our heart in these things for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus's focus is on the heart of the matter, not so much the outward performance of the law. That's not what impresses God. He wants your heart in on it. And so verse 22 says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great 
is that darkness. And this passage might, you know, it, it, it might seem a little confusing, but basically I believe what it's saying right here, this is talking about how we look at things. You know, how we look at these things. Like, have you ever heard people say, you know, they look at everything in a negative light? It's like they look at everything with darkness. They have an evil eye. They have a, a darkened eye, you could say. And so how we see things often will reveal our heart. And it's a sad thing when everything is darkness to us. It's sad when everything that we see, every even good thing we see with people, we have a negative slant to it. And have you ever known people like that? That no matter what somebody does, they've got something negative to say about it. You know, if they do hear about a donation or something, well, they're probably just wanting a tax write-off. You know, they always have something negative. Oh, well, they're probably just trying to impress everybody. You know, they, just, they must think they're better than everybody else. Oh, they must, they must have done something. You know, somebody does something really good. They're like, they must have done something really bad and are feeling really guilty right now. That's not the way we ought to be. That's not a good attitude to have. This is talking about how we look at things. And some people are, they're just very negative about everything. It's like, they just don't believe there's any good anywhere in the world. That's no way to live. And people like that, unfortunately, they usually suck the joy out of everything. And that's, that's not good. We ought to assume the best. And, and hopefully, you, you think the best. And sometimes, you know, good people, they end up, uh, you know, they're often oblivious to a lot of stuff because they do. They just assume the best in everybody. But you know what? I think it's okay to be that way. I, you know, we don't need to worry about you know, making sure no one ever deceives us. And, and, and I think, too, churches like ours, and I've known pastors that are like this, that they are so suspicious and, and skeptical of everyone. And it's like, you know, that's, that's no way to live. Let's not treat everyone that comes into this church as if, you know, they're just an infiltrator coming to bring in false doctrine. And here's the thing about it, too. This is just a fact about people. I don't, I don't want to get sidetracked into another lesson here. But, you know, probably most people, you know, and probably even including all of us, when they do come into a church, it's one of those things where they could go either way. Because often, you know, even though just because you're saved doesn't mean you can't go in a bad direction. And many people... You know, there's, when they, when they come into a church, a lot of times they do, they come in with the right attitude. You know, they come in, uh, you know, for positive reasons, right reasons, they do a lot of good. But when something happens and they get bent out of shape, our minds are very capable of kind of taking everything and like rethinking what happened. And so, you know, for example, somebody comes in, you know, you know, they come into the church, you know, and they're here, at the church for a few years. They like the people in the church. Man, these are good people. These are my friends. I like the pastor. He cares about me. He loves me. They've been a help to me. But then, you do something to upset them. You do something to make them mad. All of a sudden, you can kind of turn that eye into something darkness. And now they think back. Oh man, all those years, they were just playing me. All those years, all those nice things they did, it was just to get something out of me. And you know, the reality is, all of us, we struggle to do anything with completely pure motives, don't we? You know why? Because 
We all have a, a regenerated spirit if you're saved, and you've got an unre, you've got unregenerate flesh. And so sometimes we do we do you know good things for the wrong reasons, and, or sometimes it's probably a little bit of both, because we've always got the old man and the new man at the same time. So it's very possible for someone to take years that of good in a church and to you know when something bad happens to just kind of reinterpret everything that happened to the negative because it was all there is that am i making sense with how that works or am i the only one with a regenerated spirit and a unregenerate flesh or do you got regenerated both all right now i think we've all we've all got some of that okay we've all and you know what all of us while we know we ought to come to church because we love the lord we ought to go souling because we love the lord how many of you before you've gone to church and you're not sure who you listen to that day? Because some of you, you know, you know, there is, there's always pressure on us to do the right thing from others. There's fleshly reasons. So there is, there's always that, that, that sinful, you know, element that's there. And sometimes it's hard to know who, who we did listen to today. Like, I think I showed up tonight for God. You know, I did in my spirit. But in my flesh, I think I did it to impress the pastor and everybody else in the church. You know, and I'm not sure who I listened to more. There was probably some of both. And that's why, you know, that's why things can just completely change and we can eventually start looking at everything in the negative. And we've got to watch out. We've got to watch out for that. We don't want to become that, neg- that negative person or a negative Nancy or something like that. So verse 24 says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And we, all of us in here, all of us in here have one main master, you could say. In reality, there's only one master, right? In reality, there's only one master. But you could say, another way you could say it is we all have priorities. Okay? We all have priorities. The master is whoever is at the top of your priority. Okay? Because because uh, um, we do we have many things that we all want to do or people that we all want to listen to, but here's what here's how we can know who the master is. Who has the final say when there's a conflict? That's how we know who the master is. All of us are listening to multiple people. All of us are serving multiple people. All of us are serving multiple things. But the one who takes priority, that is the master. And um, I think it's good for all of us to do some soul searching and to find out, you know, who our master really is. Because, you know, there's a lot of men like, you know what, I'm the leader of our family. I'm going to take our family to church, you know, and, and you're and because God is my master. But then when your wife's having a really bad day and she's like, no, we're not. All of a sudden, you know, when there's, you know, normally she's in agreement with God. And so you think God's your master, but whenever those two disagree, who wins? And if it, if it's, if it's the wife, she's the real master and no man wants that to be the case, right? You know, and hopefully you don't. So it's whoever is on the top of your priority list. And so verse 25 says, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. 
Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or withal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. And so notice, after he mentions no man can serve two masters, he goes and he, he's showing, he's mentioning several things that are many people's main focus. These are the main things people are worried about. These are many people's priorities. While they want church, we have many people in our country that consider themselves Christian, that consider themselves religious, but it is very low on the priority list. I mean, literally any family event will get them out of everything church related. I mean, just, you know, anything, anything, anything work related, family related, I mean, just anything. It's just something they like doing, you know, when they can do it. It's something they like doing when they feel like doing it. There's churches in some places, they shut down during the summertime because nobody's going to go to church in the summertime. You know, it's just there. Everybody's busy. Everybody's traveling. All that, you know, and that's that's pretty sad when that kind of thing goes on. But that's how it is in a lot of places. But most people's main focus or master is whoever is paying their bills because they are so worried about the things that were just mentioned. This is why most people's master is their boss at their job. And again, obviously, you should submit to your uh, master as far as your employer. The Bible talks about that. Paul talked about that kind of thing. But hopefully, your employer is not your master where he can tell you something that goes against what God says and then you do what he says. That is, it's okay for you to have an employer. When God said no man serves two masters, doesn't mean we don't have multiple people telling us what to do. It just means we have one who takes priority. And you know what? God tells us that we ought to listen to our masters. We ought to listen to our employers. As long as they're not telling you to sin, you should listen to them. That's actually you listening to God, making him your, your master. But when they can tell you to sin, that's when it changes. And many people... All the rules go out the window and they, because of the fact they're so worried about what they're going to eat. They're so worried about what they're going to put on. God knows that we have need of these things. God knows we need to eat. God knows you need to take care of your family. God knows you need to pay your bills. God knows you need to pay your mortgage and, and your utility bills. God knows all that stuff. So when he's saying take no thought, what he's, he, what he's telling us to do, keep your priorities right. And then he says in verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, I I would encourage everyone to have a budget. I would encourage everyone to make financial plans and and to be frugal and to be responsible with all these things. I think people ought to get jobs. I think you ought to do all of these things, but 
Don't make those things master in your life. Kingdom of God is first. That needs to be everyone's attitude. Kingdom of God is first. It's okay for you to have uh, careers that you want to get into. It's, o- it's okay to have goals and dreams and, and, and things that maybe you even want to buy. And it's, it's okay to have goals like that. Just keep the kingdom of God first. That needs to be the main thing. If your pursuit of a certain career is going to take you away to, from the things of the kingdom of God, then you probably shouldn't do that thing. You probably, you, you probably need to do something else. And because the kingdom of God should come first. And when we put the kingdom of God first, I believe God will take care of everything else. And listen, I I was just talking with somebody about it this week that, you know, in in my life, and I was talking about this with a lost person, but in my life, you know, I have, I have done everything I can to prioritize the kingdom of God, the things of God first. But at the same time, while I, I have done that and I have made many decisions that, you know, definitely, I, you know, mathematically has cost me, somehow I've still managed to do a lot of things that I like to do. God has still been very good to me. And honestly, you know, when I, when I, I hear preachers get up and talk all the time about all the money they'd have made and how rich they'd have been if they wouldn't have been a pastor. And honestly, I can't imagine my life being better if I'd have done something else. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. You know, and the Lord has provided. Even with eight kids. A lot of people today whose lives are devoted to money aren't able to do anything and they only have like 1.2 kids. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Again, I'm telling you, everybody's better off. I believe, I do, I believe across the board everyone's going to be better off. Everyone's going to be more fulfilled and everybody's probably even going to get to do more of what truly makes them happy if you put the kingdom of God first. I can't prove that to anybody and it definitely doesn't make mathematical sense. Don't ask me to put it on paper. It doesn't work that way. I'm saying what will actually bring you true joy and fulfillment, I believe you will get more of it if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I can't, afford, I can't afford to do that much stuff. But you know what? I was, I was telling somebody too. I was like, you know, in the last three years when I've gone to Florida, I got, the first year we went, we got, we went to Universal Studios. Next year we went to Legoland. The next year we went, uh, this year we went to SeaWorld. And you know what? I didn't pay for any of it. I went free every time. I can't afford to do that stuff. But somehow I still do those things. You know, why, why is that? You know, the Lord, He sees me serving. He's like, hey, I know you like traveling. I know you like going to cool places. You know what? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do these things. I'm going to provide. And I I haven't even asked for these things. I've not even asked God for these things. But God knows what I, what, and I don't even need those things. I want them. But, but I don't, but I, I don't need those things. But God gives them anyway. And I'm telling you, I can't prove this, but I believe it. I can only show you what the scripture says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. I, I just believe that. And so what are these things of the kingdom? It's all the things he's mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what God wants. This is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is what God wants from us who are serving in his kingdom. We need to seek these things first. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are in fact instructions for our life and we ought to prioritize them in our life 
And I believe if we do that, God will, God will take care of us. So he says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What are the stock market crashes tomorrow? Well, you know what? I think I'll be okay as long as when the stock market crashes, I'm serving in the kingdom of God. I believe, what, you know, what if the tribulation starts tomorrow? What if there's an economic crash? What if this happens? What if that happens? You know what? Whatever comes, I hope God catches me right smack in the middle of seeking first the kingdom of God. And if that happens, I believe God will take care of me. What if something big comes? If, if, if I need to be protected from it, God will protect me from it. The best thing you can do is be in the will of God. Anything you need to do, just be smack dab in the middle of the will of God, serving in His kingdom. If you do these things, everything else will be fine. Your worry about future things won't stop them from coming or make them more likely to come. You need to daily focus on the things of God. And we are all in God's kingdom now. And we and, and part of the Great Commission, along with the soul winning and the baptizing, we are to teach people to observe all things. These are the things. These are the things we're going to be teaching people to observe. And we do. We have people that, you know, they want to focus on just like one aspect of the Great Commission and then act like you're better than everybody else because you're doing that one thing. And you happen to be doing that one thing to be seen of men. Hey, on Twitter, they call them spiritual selfies. Hey, please don't do spiritual selfies. Here, and this is what the spiritual selfies are. Whenever these guys are out souling, they get somebody saved, they get their picture taken with them. And it's like, man, that's awkward, okay? I mean, these people are strangers. You go up to their house, and then you're going to take a picture with them? You know, don't, please don't do that. Okay? And we want these people to come visit the church. And if you're, you know, you might, you, some, some people will be glad. You're going to freak some people out. And it's kind of a joke, too. It's like, did it really happen if you didn't get the spiritual selfie? But let, let's not let's not start that kind of thing. Let's not do these things to be seen of men. I'm all for doing things to like motivate it and to motivate others to go soul winning. You know, I I think there's a there's a, a positive you know way you can do it. There's a uh, there's a, a good goal of just trying to motivate others, but there's a sinful aspect of it too when we're doing it to be seen of men, and we got to watch out for that. And sometimes we probably do a little bit of both. Sometimes we so we got to be careful with that, but uh, right here shows that you know even in areas like souling, we can get to where we're not doing it from the heart, and that's what God wants. And so two chapters into the Sermon on the Mount, and just for all those dispensationalists out there that might be listening, one hundred percent of what we have read so far is completely relevant for us today. It's completely relevant. The closest thing you could say is when it talks about if you have aught with your brother, leave your gift at the altar. Okay? Obviously, Jesus finished the gifts at the altar, but the principle still applies. Take care of issues that you're having with your brothers. And don't think, well, I'm doing all these other good things. You know, Who cares about my brother? No, go take care of things with your brother. God wants us doing that kind of thing. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. I thank you so much for this wonderful chapter and the lessons we can learn from it. Pray you'll help us to, uh, Lord, if anybody gets anything from this message, just help us to always prioritize the things of the kingdom. Help us to have the faith. Lord, we all have desires and things of this earth that we, uh, that we like or at least that we think would bring us happiness, but help us to have the faith to believe that 
service in your kingdom uh, will bring the most happiness. And I pray, and Lord, I know you'll bless everyone for it. And so uh, help us get busy serving you. In your name we pray. Amen.